0: Episode
1: 2201 of the number one podcast, the Apple Podcast for Job Search. You're listening to NoBS Job Search Advice Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Alton, the big game hunter, and welcome. Today I've got an interview with David Eau Claire, who's currently a corporate recruiter, has been an agency recruiter, and we talk about what recruiters look for, how they find you, a whole host of different things. Hope you enjoy the show. Hope you give the number one podcast, an Apple podcast for job search, an honest review wherever you listen to the show. There's so much that's available to you in the archives. And if you want to listen to some of the older shows, go to anchor.fm, look for the original No BS Job Search Advice Radio without going into a lot of detail about the first sixteen or 1,700 episodes are in that feed and any after that are in No BS Job Search Advice Radio. Hope you enjoyed today's show and we'll be back in just one moment. Support for today's show comes from Skillshare.com. Now, Skillshare is a site where they have thousands of courses and lots and lots of course instructors to help you not just simply professionally but personally as well. I know I have a number of my classes there. And it's one price per month. And it's unlimited access to content. And they give you a seven day free trial. So you can take all of my classes that way. And if you decide not to renew, okay, you decided not to renew. I'm fine with that. But I'm just simply saying, it's a place where you can learn and grow and not have to worry about spending hundreds of dollars for courses like so many instructors make you do. Again, use the link in the show notes, get a seven day free trial. It will make a difference in your job search and so much more. And we'll be back in just one moment. So, my guest today is David Eau Claire. I want to sing his name. Hey, David Eau Claire. What will <laughs> you say? Anyway, um, David heads a talent acquisition for a firm called measured results in California, worked in recruiting before that for Robert Half, and then himself was an account, uh, not, I'm sorry, accounting associate with, with Clifton Lawrence Allen. In effect, he's worked for a large uh, accounting firm, now with a smaller firm, and in the middle, we have a sandwich that has a recruiting firm. David, how are you?
0: Thanks for making time today. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing good. We have a heat warning with 110 degree weather on the way, so I'm a little apprehensive about that, but the AC is going and and I'm good otherwise.
1: And in California, I hope there's no outages. Not yet. (laughs) Amen. So you worked at a large firm. What was it like during a typical day working for a fairly large
0: accounting firm? so for me a typical day is you wake up i woke up at 4 30 a.m i'd be at the gym from five to six i'd give myself a little time to scarf down a quick breakfast get dressed uh shower firm by seven and i was typically at the office from about seven a.m to roughly somewhere between 5 and 7 p.m. I'd go home, have some dinner, and then get back online for two to three hours. And that was your, your typical day for a busy season. It really, it, it wasn't just clifton Larson. any of the top 10, 20, maybe even the top 100 firms in the nation. You know, during tax season, that's just the nature of the beast. The, those are the hours you're going to be working. In other words, you work like an animal. Yeah. Yeah. The phrase, the phrase becomes quite literally true.
1: <laughs> and when does it calm down? When does tax season officially end?
0: You know, for a tax associate, probably April 5th or 6th or 7th, because all of your work is, is being reviewed by the seniors, by the management, by the partners. Um, and so really um It's not April 15th. It's going to be a few days before that so we can get those returns signed, get them out the door and get them filed by, by midnight on the 15th.
1: And I think for the last two years, I know you weren't with CLA at that point, but the last two years with the delays in filing. Perhaps this extended further for folks. So I think last year, the uh, last filing date was in July. This year, it's in May. They're trying to train us to get back to April. Uh, So I suspect it was uh, two weeks before the final filing
0: dates. I, I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah. The last year and a half, um, it, it felt like a year and a half long tax season, to be honest. It, it just, it kept going and going. And I know the accountants felt like they didn't really get a break because by having an a extended season to July 15th, you know, then we had to start working on the the returns we extended for the October 15th deadline and the September 15th deadline, and then you go into tax planning season, and then before you know it, you wake up, it's January 1st, and here we go, tax season 2021. So, you know, for the accounting industry, for public accountants, COVID didn't really uh, slow down anything. If anything, it just made us busier. We were figuring out what these PPP loans were, and we just kept going and going and going, and then Finally, on May 16th, the accountants got to rest.
1: (laughs) Amen. Except for those who had to file extensions. Yes. (laughs) Except for those folks. Uh, So you worked long days. What prompted you to leave at that time? Why did you move on? Was it uh, voluntary or um, uh, shall we say they made the decision for you?
0: You know, it was it was voluntary because what I started to recognize was um, when I worked in operations at a health club for 11 years for seven of those 11 years, I was staffing my own firm. So sort of doing like in an, an aspect of my job was internal recruiting. I did all the hiring, all the firing, all the training. And then when I graduated college and left that job to get my first accounting job, which was in line with my degree. I immediately joined the on-campus recruitment team, which meant when it wasn't tax season, I was going to four different local universities to different networking events, shaking hands and helping hire our interns and our staff accountants. So after three busy seasons, I just had this realization, you know, tax and audit work, (laughs) it's not what I thought it would be. I'm not that interested in it. I don't really care about it. And it's not not what I want to do. So I started soul searching and figuring out, I have this degree. Do I stay in accounting? Maybe go to a smaller firm like Measured Results where work-life balance is offered and I don't have to work a 70 plus hour week? Or am I at this point where I'm about to abandon my degree and go do something completely different? So I turned on my, Opened the opportunities box on LinkedIn, and a recruiter from Robert Half reached out, asked me what I was looking for, and initially I said a smaller firm. But the more we worked together, and as I was going through this job search with Melissa, I asked her, "What? What do you do? What's happening on the back end at Robert Half that that I don't know about? What? What? What is this this company, Robert Half, that I had never heard of? I, I actually thought they were a, a accounting firm like Clifton Larson, not a a recruiting agency. So um, she told me a little bit about her job, what she spent her day doing, the money she made. And I said, this sounds fantastic. You're getting paid to just talk to people all day? I could do that. So uh, they didn't have an opening, but she said, you know, I want you to meet my manager that set up a meeting. So I go in and I ended up spending four hours in the office. I met the entire accounting and finance team. I got to sit in the room and watch them do their jobs. I got to ask a bunch of questions. There is another staff accountant there who switched to recruiting at Robert Half. So they put us in a room together so I could pick her brain about the pros, the cons, just ask some some honest, you know, maybe non-interview type questions to figure out, do I really wanna leave Clifton to, and leave the accounting industry to do recruiting? And at the end of the day, it just felt right. So I, I talked to my my coach at, at Clifton, and I said, this is what I think I should do. So I'm turning in my two weeks and I'm moving on. Um, and that's, that's sort of what what the transition looked like.
1: So I'm gonna come to half in a second. I just wanna back up to Clifton for one second. What did you like about working in accounting? What didn't you like about
0: working in accounting? Ooh, what did I like about it? You know, I, I do nerd out over a set of financial statements. I really like to see, you know, oh my goodness, this almond company is making millions. This is insane. And, you know, what does a company spend on payroll? What are the margins? What are the the expenses? And, and what could we allocate differently? And I, and I liked the the strategy piece of it so if i had got a job where instead of plugging numbers into a tax return i was maybe just partnering with business owners all day on how to make their revenues more efficient how to increase their margins life may have steered me in a different direction but you know just just punching numbers into a tax return not really ever meeting the clients because once i was done the managing partner would get the return they would have that meeting with the clients i never met the clients i just saw their their data so so you know analyzing the numbers was was a pro the the people that i got to work with was a pro Um, We had 24 partners in my office, which I described to potential candidates as it's almost like we had 24 business owners and all of them are just a wealth of knowledge. So if you like learning, if you like working with strategic people, this is the office in Sacramento that you want to be at, no questions asked. The cons were at the end of the day, it was the hours and it was um, just the nature of the work. Like I said, it was sort of, you know, almost like um, just data input when you're working on tax returns. Um, you know, with the hours, I, um, I tried to make it work by, I, I, I took a, uh, an upstream approach to it. Do you, have you ever heard of upstream issues and the little- For my
1: audience, tell them what it is.
0: Okay, beautiful. So to describe upstream issues, um, I'll tell a little parable that I heard from someone named Dan Heath. So imagine that you and a friend are going to have a picnic next to the river. And you get out to the river, you're laying out your blanket, you're unpacking your PB&Js and your iced tea, and all of a sudden you hear thrashing about in the river and you hear yelling and you turn around and there's a child drowning in the river. So you run over, you jump in the water, you pull them out, and as you're making sure that they're okay, you hear more thrashing about in the water, more yelling, and there's another child drowning in the river. So you jump back in, you save this kid, and then the process repeats itself again again and again, child after child. So you look out of the river to your friend to yell at them to help you get these kids out of the water. And, and they're walking upstream and you say, hey, come back. And they turn around and look at you and they say, I can't. I'm going to go deal with the person that's throwing all these kids in the river. So what that's essentially saying is that if you have a, a system that's giving some sort of output that you don't like, you you could do one of two things. You can either keep putting out fires or you can take an approach, look at the source and figure out what can I do to change the system. So when I was trying to tackle tax season and the 70 or 80 hour work week, I figured I could either be do one of two things. I could be like my coworker, Michael, who would get in the office at 7 a.m. He'd work until about 1 a.m. He would go to a room that was technically meant for nursing moms that had this really comfy recliner and he would sleep in there from one to five or six in the morning and then he would get up and he would spend the night in the office and repeat this process Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He would tell me Wednesday, I'm going home to take a shower because I'm starting to smell and, and I don't want people to know that I've been here for 72 hours straight or I could take the approach that I did, which was figured out, okay, outside of work, what do I value? Seeing my family, seeing my friends, going to the gym, eating healthy, reading, and getting eight hours of sleep every night. This is not gonna happen anymore. What I can do instead is go from eight hours of sleep to six, I'm not going to read at all during tax season. Unfortunately, I'll save my pleasure reading for non-busy season, and I'm not going to see my friends. What I value the most is I'm going to keep seeing my family on Sundays, which is my day off. I'm going to keep going to the gym because I don't want to lose my health, and I want to keep eating healthy because, again, I don't want to lose my health. And I know that if I'm doing these three things that I will feel better, I will operate more efficiently, and during these long hours, I'll be able to get through them productively because I'm figuring out what do I value? what do I not? And then, like I said, at the beginning, um, I, I set up that schedule of wake up, gym, work, 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 really quick dinner, work, 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 sleep. And and so for me, by taking an upstream approach, I felt like I did beat busy season because every busy season, I felt like I was coming out of it happier. I was not as tired. I was being more efficient. And so if I stayed, um, I really feel like, you know, each busy season would have kept getting easier and easier because I took this upstream approach to it. Um, So that's sort of what, I forget your original question because I pivoted to upstream issues, so I apologize. Um, But that was how I tackled busy season and how I felt was an effective way to get through it. We're
1: talking about what you liked and didn't like and you explain how you coped with it. So now yes. you go to the recruiting firm, which I know from my personal experience, it's not exactly a picnic from a work schedule. Uh, how did you find it working at, at that office of half?
0: You know, I, I loved it partly because you're in a room with 50 people Um, you're working at cubicles without walls. And so since you can hear everyone, there is just sort of this buzz of energy that I thrived off of. And I felt like I also contributed to it. Um, You know, I'm not a quiet person. I was very quickly branded as being the loudest person in the office. When I think someone, something is genuinely funny, I have a Santa Claus type laugh. And so you know, every now and then there'd be a day where people would be on site visiting clients, and out of the 50 recruiters, only 12 of us would be there. I had a hard time working on those days. On those days, I almost needed to leave the office and just show up at a few client sites by surprise without invitation and say, hey, is Jeff, does he happen to be available? I'm not trying to sell many candidates. I'm not trying to get job wrecks from him. I just want to say hi. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it was a fun office. The team of about a dozen recruiters that we had that I worked with specifically, um, we had another staff accountant, and we did a lot of the on-campus recruitment to pipeline future talent together. My superiors that had been there for four, five, six, seven years, they would come over to my desk every now and then and sit with me for an hour or two and just show me some things that they did and how they manipulated our our internal systems to either find candidates, to find potential clients, and I just learned so much in those 10 months. It, it was an incredible opportunity. Um, the people at that office, they were talented, they were kind, they were strategic, it was loud. Um, one thing the that I is like, nice?
1: Come, come <laughs> on. All right. All right. So we, we
0: had some strategic ones as well that maybe, maybe, you know, were were there to fill some job orders. But um, the last thing I was just gonna end with was that when we had a candidate, uh, internally for half. It was funny because we would walk them through the bullpen that we called it just like they did with me. And one of two things happened. They either thrived off of it like I did, or their eyes would get really wide and their jaw would drop and they j- j- no way they would say you know what, I'm, I'm late for another interview. I'm out of here deuces and they ran out the door and, and that was uh, hilarious to me. I got to witness that a couple of times
1: as I did as well. Question for you. So there you are working at half, having a good time, and now you wind up deciding to work back in corporate and an accounting firm, no less. Why'd you make that decision? And folks, what I'm trying to do is give you a sense of what it's like to work in an accounting firm, what it's like to work in a recruiting firm, what it's going to be, what it was like working with a large firm, and now we're going to talk about what it's like working for a smaller firm and how he evaluates people, just to give you an idea of how I'm approaching this. So what prompted you to go back to industry and Jeff, to a small firm, like smaller than the bullpen you were working in at
0: half? Right, right. So did you, did you hear of, uh, there is an event last year called COVID Did you hear about that? Yes, yes. So Robert Half went from, our district was about 168 people on the West Coast. And to my knowledge, by the time they were done with layoffs and also a few people quit, they shrunk to about somewhere between 15 and 20. So, you know, at first when COVID started to become when we started to hear about it a lot in Sacramento, the leadership said, you know, we're a healthy company, we've weathered storms before. Robert Half has been around since 47, I want to say. So they've seen crises of all sorts and they said we're good. <laughs> Fast forward about a month where we all thought we had job security and, you, you know, I've never been fired And it was hard not to take it personally when they made that Zoom call and said, we're letting you go. Even though it was due to COVID, I I felt um, it was a mix of, if I'm being really honest, a little bit of anger and confusion and, and just this thing I had never experienced before. So I felt like I got fired when it was really just due to our revenues dropping by a third overnight and it's a fortune 500 company with stockholders to answer to that's why you know 135 of us were let go so those then you mix in this pandemic which as a you know young man i had never experienced something like this before so here i am in my apartment my normal way of dealing with stress would be to go to the gym can't do that my second fall back, see friends. No one wanted to see each other because we were we didn't know what to do. And so, um, you know, I, I would go to a parking garage that was near my house and i run stairs for 30 minutes. That was one of the things I'd try to do to pass some time. And again, soul search, what do I do next? I saw that some agencies were hiring, but then I started thinking about when I was in college, And the whole reason I joined Clifton Larson Allen in the first place was because I was a part of a group called the Accounting Society. And one day, a recruiter from CLA shows up, and her name's Naomi, and she gave this awesome 20 to 30 minute motivational slash recruiting speech on how to get your first job with a CPA firm. And I... I I remembered her and just how she operated, how she did her job, how much I admired her. And I thought, I I wanna be Naomi. I I can speak accounting, my degree's in accounting. I did it for three years. I got the experience with Robert Half where I'm hiring for a dozen different clients at once. I, I sort of wanna just hire for one person, but not only that, at half, you know, you can look up the website for the company you're recruiting for and see what their mission statement is, but do they really uphold that mission statement? Do they really care about it or is it just riding on a wall? And sometimes when I was sending candidates, candidates to interviews, I felt my integrity was on the line a little bit because I wasn't sure I really even liked the company that much. So it was like, do I let them make that call? Should I not send them for an interview because I don't really like these folks that much? What do I do? Whereas if I'm doing recruiting internally for a company, I get to speak on everything from culture to our mission statement, the pros, the cons. And I know that I'm being truthful, honest and transparent and everything that I say. So I started looking at um, every accounting firm in the nation, you know, the big four, the top 10, the little ones. And one day on Indeed, I see this posting for this company i would never heard of called Measured Results. They're hiring for a recruiter. So I looked up a few people on LinkedIn, and I could only find about 16 people. And I thought, how could they need a recruiter? This is crazy to me. Like, they can just do this themselves. They don't need to bring someone in, but what the heck, let's apply and see where it goes. Um, and so I, I applied and, and that's sort of how I came uh, to answer your question of why measured results, why internally, why public accounting? It mainly was just remembering Naomi and her job and how much I admired her and knowing that I could knock it out of the park because I speak the accounting language and anything they want me to hire for, I could go and find for them. Excellent.
1: So now in the world where you're running talent acquisition for measured results, what do you look for in people when you're evaluating and and I'm going to use the term screening or filtering people? I always think in terms of it's like the old west and it's the gold rush days in California. And you're sitting by the river, you got a pan with a screen on top of it. And you're putting the pan (laughs) in the water and you're waiting for the gold to sit on top of the screen. So what do you look for? How do you recognize the gold a la measured results, which is probably different than what half might do, which is certainly different than what CLA might do as a larger firm.
0: Exactly, you, you know. When I got, I'm going to tell you a secret, um, and I, I hope that no one no, no one's going to that Don't you no, nobody. You have no listeners, right? Um, so they, when I first got hired, they they have a book that called uh, "Scaling Up" that they use to build the business and to scale measured results, and it, it technically is required reading. I read the first chapter, and it was very dry, and I thought, I'm not going to read this, but I will read the two chapters on recruiting because that's relevant to my job. And um, at Measured Results, we're, we're very picky about who we hire. And in line with the book and why I bring that up is we try to only hire the, the A players or the, the gold, like you just mentioned. No one's
1: ever said to me, Jeff, we want to see all your Ds. <laughs> bring
0: in the Ds. That's who we're looking for. They don't stop the madness, Jeff.
1: 40 years in search, no one ever asked me for the rejects from Deloitte. Not me, me for all the people <laughs> who've washed out five times in the last two years. They always say, We want exceptional talent. All the A players, a pl-. no one ever talks about rejects. So go go into specifics.
0: So so there's a couple of things I look at, and and depending on the there's a few things. First one is just things that are incredibly easy, like answering screening questions. Sometimes those are completely blank. I ran into this yesterday and then I'll look at the resume and that's not really a fit for a job. That's an easy reject, right? Like this, no, I'm not, I'm not going to bother calling this candidate when I have 50 others that are waiting to be reviewed. But then there's other times where they don't answer the screening questions, but the resume seems like it's really, really good. And I'm always walking this line of like, do I want to call this person? Because if they're being this lazy with their job search, do they really care that much? And then David starts to overanalyze the situation. Sometimes I reject them. Sometimes I call them. When I do call, sometimes in that screen, um, my answer is you know, right on. Uh, they'll pick up the phone and they'll sound grumpy or, or mad. Or one time I introduced myself and the guy even dropped an expletive. What do you and one or something like that? And I said, "Oh well, so, sorry to disturb you. You seem like you're having a rough day. You applied for one of our jobs. And and, and so you know what I tell candidates is because uh, they reach out to me for coaching purposes sometimes is you know if you're going to pick up the phone like that and you're conducting a job search maybe just let them leave a message because then all the power is in your core." when they hear that voicemail of this is David from Measured Results calling about the senior tax accountant position, you can go Google us real quick, pull up the job posting, what is this that I applied for, and then you can call me back, you can be happy, and we can have an educated conversation on on this. Um, So, you know, in the phone screen, I'm asking some questions such as, what are you looking for comp-wise? Let's just get that out of the way right away, so we can figure out if we even want to, you know, dive into the interview process, if the position is maybe uh, it has to be in person. I'll tell them this isn't one of our hybrid roles or remote roles. It's the front desk. We need you here. Greeting people. Is that okay with you? I'll ask them any deal breaker questions. Typically, every role has something we need, whether it's a CPA license, being remote like I just mentioned. I'll ask them why they left their last job. And sometimes as I'm going through these answers, the answers don't even matter. All of our roles are very, very client facing. And so we want happy, pleasant people that are easy to get along with. They can break down accounting terms in ways that our clients who are not accountants can understand. And so the answer to some questions could be almost anything. I'm more just looking at, are you a... a cool human being that's in line with our seven core values. One of our core values is awesomeness with a little bit of weirdness. So do you sort of fit in that bucket in your own unique way? Um, And so in the phone screen, like I said, that's what I'm looking for. Um, And then in the interviews, uh same, same thing. Some of the questions, it, it, the answers don't matter. What, where do you want to go in life? What's your career look like 5, 10, 15 years down the road? I don't actually necessarily care what your career looks like. I more want to find out, are you a goal setter? Are you thinking big picture or are you thinking small picture? Um, I'll ask them how their job search is going. I'll ask them, you know, if you get four offers. you're
1: a- asking that, what are you trying to find out from them?
0: So I'm trying to find out um, if you've heard of the term emotional agility.
1: Emotional agility? Perhaps someone in my audience is not familiar Might with
0: not it. know. <laughs> so emotional agility, I'm trying to find out, essentially, when we get stressed out, we um, oftentimes, I've heard my sister one time. She was stressed out about a situation, and and she said, "But you know what? I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain about this. I'm not gonna worry about this because." people in, in third world countries have it a lot worse, or I've heard people say about their jobs, this, this environment is toxic, my boss yells at me, I'm crying, but you know what? Other people are unemployed, so I, I shouldn't complain about it. Um, or another one might be, um they suck it up in other words suck it up and what what you're doing is you're you're not dealing with the stress you're you're denying it the the fact is you are stressed out it's there you're experiencing the emotion even if someone else doesn't have a job even if someone is else in a third world country has it a lot worse you're still stressed out and and so emotional agility is realizing okay let's define the stress a little better if you're bored This could be a signposting that you're busy as heck. Your calendar is filled 24/7. You're running from fire to fire, putting these out, but yet somehow you're still bored. This could be signposting that you value growth, you value learning, you value being developed, and that that isn't happening for you in your in your current role. Um, Or if you're uh, let's see, if you're lonely, that you value friendships, that you value community. So. What are you doing to, to build that community? And emotional agility is, is figuring out that crucial that crucial step of I'm anxious, I'm frustrated, I'm bored, I'm lonely, I'm angry. So have some compassion on yourself, experience that emotion, and then figure out what's a way that we can solve this. And so this takes a little bit to get into during an interview. So I always start out with with some super light questions of of. How are you? How's your How's your day going? I saw this on your resume. You graduated from the school. What did you love? What did you hate? What's a bucket list item when COVID's over? What do you want to do during COVID? What did you do? Did you pick up any new hobbies? Any Any new uh, habits? And then I'll just ask a very direct question: of Are you familiar with emotional intelligence? The five different arms are self regulation, self awareness, empathy, so on and so forth. Which Which are you strongest at? which are your weakest at? Um, And so then we'll just, I'll just pepper in some behavioral questions. And even yesterday, someone, Someone brought up, you know, um, I I do I did get anxious during COVID. That's a tough question to answer because I don't know if I should give you the honest answer or not. I got lonely, I got depressed, I got anxious. March, April, and May were three of the hardest months of my life. And so this whole concept of emotional agility comes from an individual named Susan David, and she has a 17-minute TED Talk on YouTube about it. So while she was talking, I got the link, dropped it in the Zoom chat, and I said, please, please, please watch this when the interview is over. You're gonna love it. I think it could Literally, quite possibly, change your life. And I think by by saying, you know, I got depressed and I got ang- anxious. What I pulled from that is that this candidate is is super honest. She's transparent, and she allows herself to live in these moments and experience these emotions. and and I feel like she's one of the most genuine people I met today. So that, along with a great resume, a great skill set, and overall great conversation, she definitely is, is you know, moving on to a second interview. And I hope that she gets a spot with us.
1: So we don't have a lot of time left. And we've covered a lot of territory here. What haven't we covered yet that we really should about what you look for in someone, what it's like working for a smaller accounting firm versus a larger one? What should we cover in the the final few
0: minutes? You know, let's go with the the size of the accounting firm. I, I would say the, you know, the biggest difference is gonna be a few things. At Clifton, like I said, pros, 24 partners to learn from. Con 150 people. Some people had no idea who you were. Sometimes it didn't feel very personable. Sometimes the hours were really, really long. At measured results and and even some of the smaller firms, there's just not as much business. So therefore there's not as many hours. Um, You get to know your team a lot more at Measured, we we go out to lunch. The whole team does. Every time someone has a birthday, every time someone has an anniversary. And we all are growing. I don't know that that model is gonna sustain. But, you know, when I'm working remote, 80% 80% of the time. And for the 20% of the time I'm at the office, oftentimes I will literally just bounce from office to office to office for, for a good two, three hours of my morning, getting to see everyone, asking them how life is, talking about business, clients, recruiting, or sometimes about our dogs or our kids or whatever it is. And, and I truly, you know, at, at COA, I learned from the team. Here it feels you know, I'm developing, it almost feels like friendships. I have a feeling that one day there's a few individuals that when I leave or when they leave, that friendship will hopefully maintain because it's not just about work anymore. You know, there's, there's a bond there. Um, So it, it sort of just depends what you value. My buddy Tyler's still at COA. He loves it. He's gonna be a, a lifer. He's gonna turn into the, the, the older guy who's been there 35 years, has a book of business, got one job after college, never left. And so for people like Tyler, he just thrives in that big firm, unlimited resources environment. Whereas me, I like the personal feel. I like the smaller team. I, I like our candidates. I like our recruiting process a little bit more. Um, so there I've been it is. I'm gonna ask
1: you a quirky question is my final question. Folks, if you're listening to this in podcast form, David has a healthy beard. Good way of putting it, right? A healthy beard. Yes. It's substantial. Would you have been able to have that at Clifton?
0: He's hesitating. That says no. I would say pre-COVID, probably not. During COVID, maybe. No one cared (laughs) at that point. No. So thank you. I appreciate the honesty
1: of the answer. Uh, and folks, that's one of the differences between large and small firms. Smaller firms allow us generally um, a certain amount of individuality in the staff. Translated, the beard, sometimes the wardrobe as well. Uh, it's, and he's nodding as I'm saying this. Uh, the beard, the wardrobe, uh, the shoes, you know, flip-flops at the office is the classic uh, complainted organizations probably not in measured results. Um, And the result winds up being smaller firms are more concerned with the individual than they are with the image. This has been fun. How can people find out more about you, measured results, get in touch with you, try and find a job with you, that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, so if you wanna if you wanna get in touch with me, um, you know my last name is not easy to spell or say, which you nailed it by the way. So thank you for that. Um, but I nickname myself Daredevil on LinkedIn, and I'm the only person. So if you can't remember David Eau Claire, but you can remember Daredevil, just punch that into your search on, in LinkedIn, and you'll find me right away on the only result. If you wanna find out about measured results, or actually our most popular platform is our CEO's Instagram page. He has um, north of 7. 710,000 followers, I think. Um, And so that would be a great way to find out a little bit about our culture, about him, about the value we give to our clients and our community. Of course, there's our website. Um, And I'm active on LinkedIn 24-7. I'm a recruiter, right? So if you want to talk to me directly, I would say just send a message, send a connection request, and I'll get back to you same day.
1: So that's today's show. I hope you found it helpful. And if you did, here are a few things I can do to help you with your job search, beyond simply being your coach. First of all, I've got a new book out called The Right Answers to Tough Interview Questions. It is like a cookbook with answers to tons of interview questions that you're going to be asked on interviews. And if you pair it up with my other new book, The Ultimate Job Interview Framework, they are a, a terrific pair of books to help you with interviewing. In addition a new service where you can practice mock interviews, if you go to the forward slash mock, I've got a service there very inexpensive, like $99, where we have mock interviews set up. I'm gonna be adding more to it very soon, but you can record your answers to them and then I can critique them and help you perform better on them. You probably have noticed my show notes are pretty thorough with products and services that can help you with your search. And connect with me on LinkedIn at LinkedIn.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Lastly my website has a ton of great information. That's TheBigGameHunter.us. Now, if you're not ready to go there, and go through the blog. Put the address in your phone. TheBigGameHunter.us. Jeff Altman. So this way, when you're ready to go, you have a way of getting back to my website. Hope you have a terrific day and, most importantly, be great! (laughs)